Now, it, sometimes it would work like that, but what we've found, like looking back through our history and what we've experienced today, that this stuff is much better, much better transmitted one-on-one than it is the, the book, you know, uh, transmitting it to somebody. It, much of our growth was alcoholics traveling around and starting groups. So, so anyway, um, they're expecting that you might be someone with this book in your hand. And, and you may be wanting to stay sober and to start an Alcoholics Anonymous group. So it's telling us where to find these alcoholics in the beginning. You know, look for them. Go out there and look. You know, ask some priests, ask some policemen, you know, go to some asylums. Try to find alcoholics who want to get over it. All right? So it says, um, when you found someone, it gives us instructions in what we're supposed to do when we found another alcoholic. Now, I get I get sober I get sober in like um, 1989, right? And you could not shake a stick without hitting 13 AA meetings. There was AA meetings everywhere, much more than there is now. There was in 1989 in our area, and and it seemed like the Alcoholics Anonymous experience had turned into going to meetings. You know, I I, I joined AA and I go to a lot of meetings. So this stuff almost looks like it's historic. It has to do with the foundations of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we don't much need to pay attention to it anymore. But I don't believe that's true. I believe that there are guiding principles in this chapter that we need to pay attention to, especially right around now. You know, we're, we're coming out of the COVID experience where we lost half the fellowship. There are meetings in my area where there was 100 people every Monday night, and you go to it now and there's 40. And this is just an experience I've seen all over the place, and you've probably seen it too. So we lost half the fellowship. Might have been the right half, Marty. But, but, but we also, we also, there also could be alcoholics out there that, you know, are really in trouble and need, and need help, you know, so... So uh, some of these instructions are really amazing. It says here, you kind of qualify the alcoholic, and you do that by sharing your drinking experience. This is the perfect place for a drunkalog. You know, what, what, you know, what it was like. It's a perfect place for it. And what we're supposed to do is to talk about our drinking. We're supposed to talk about our drinking, and hopefully the person we're talking to is going gonna, is gonna to engage in the conversation and start to identify and start to share a little bit about their drinking experience. If this happens in, in, in the right way, you may be convinced that they're alcoholic too. So it says here, I'm going to start reading on page 92. If you are convinced, if you are satisfied he's a real alcoholic, alcoholic begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Um, show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink 
prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So he's talking about the obsession of the mind, right? This, this, the, 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 he's calling it the queer mental condition that allows us, <clears throat> that, that drives us to put alcohol back in our body, knowing it's the worst possible thing that we could do, knowing the risks involved, knowing it hasn't been working for decades, yet we still put alcohol back in our body. And he's, he's so we're supposed to explain to the person that we're talking with that the real problem with, with alcoholism, the real problem with problem drinking is there's something that goes on in our head prior to putting alcohol in our body. We don't have sound reasoning. We, we don't have access to good judgment. And it's a strange mental blank spot. It's a subtle form of insanity. We're supposed to explain that to the alcoholic so that they, so that they start to understand that they can't quit. They can't just quit. You know, I'd quit if I wanted to. Or, you know, you know I'm planning this, this spring to quit. You know? well, well, if you're an alcoholic, you know, there's this, this queer mental condition that may not allow you to quit. And that's what that's one aspect of alcoholism. Um, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what, what's the conditions of body and mind? The condition of the body is the phenomenon of craving, the allergy to alcohol, the inability to control it once we, once we pick it up. Uh, the condition of the mind is we don't have we don't have sufficient defense against the first drink mentally. We end we end up with a drink in our hand when we've told everybody we're done drinking like a hundred times. Tell them uh, tell them that most people are doomed who never realize their predicament. Uh, Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it serves some good purpose. But you can talk about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. So we're supposed, we're supposed to paint the drunk into a corner. Look, you're not going to be able to stop drinking. And when you drink, you just you, you get tongue-chewing, knee-walking, not able to operate your own pants zipper drunk. And, and you know, you know that's a problem. Uh, do you do you understand? And ho you know, hopefully, a lot of time, a lot of times when I, when I qualify people, it's really the first time they've heard this, because what what they've been told is you got to quit drinking, or you should go to AA and quit drinking, or you should get treatment for your alcoholism. There's a, a million messages out there. It's, you know, this particular message is none of that matters. You're not going to be able to stop drinking. You're not going to be able to stop drinking. However, we have a solution. Uh, so I'm going to skip over here. Outline the program of action. Okay, the person has, the person has said, all right, I'm interested. You know, how did you quit drinking? You, you know, you seem to know so much about this. How did you quit drinking? 
It says, outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, a four-step. How you straightened out your past, how you did an eighth and a ninth step. Why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. What the 12th step is. We're supposed to explain to the person on the first visit what the 12 steps are. Um, it is important for him to realize that his attempt to pass on, your attempt to pass on to him, uh, plays a vital part in your own recovery. My, my first sponsor did this. You know, I went to him one day and I said, Phil, you're spending so much time with me. I, you know, I, I really don't think I'm ever going to pay you back. I'm ever going to be able to pay you back. He says, Chris, you don't pay me back. You pay it forward. What I'm doing for you, you're, you're going to need to do for other people. That's how this thing works. And it, it was, you know, it was revelatory to me. I, could, I couldn't believe in such a thing was possible. I came from such a place of selfishness and self-centeredness. So it suggests how important it is to place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. On the first visit, you're telling him this. You, you know? Uh, make it clear he's not under any pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. And, you know, don't be offended if he wants to call it all off. And I love this. I love this. It says, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, perhaps you've made a friend. So how is our how is our twelve step? What are we supposed to 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 you know to to be like in our twelve step call? Sane, quiet, and full of understanding. Do you know what that is? That's compassion. We're supposed to be compassionate with these people. They're, they're sick, like us. So it talks a little bit about religion in here and how to, uh, you know, how to go around that. Because we are going to talk about God. If, if we're talking to someone and we're explaining the solution... We are going to be talking about the power greater than ourselves. And they were used to a lot of resistance when this happened because they were dealing with people who had really strong religious lives. They were, they were dealing with, with people who had, had written off religion and, and you know, saw it all as, as, as absolutely crazy. So there's information in here about, about sharing with them, well, you know, your way hasn't been working. You know, has it been working for you? You know, you're, su you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to do that. And it says here, if he's not interested in your solution, if he expects for you to act as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees or a coach for his drama, uh, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. So when I first read this, I'm like, I'm like oh, my God. You know, if a, are you saying that if a person isn't isn't going to become willing to do these twelve steps, I'm not supposed to pay any attention to them? It's pretty much what it's saying. It's pretty much what it's saying, and 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 I saw that as as reaction. I saw that as as cruel because I was brought up on the throw them in a car. Bring them to a meeting and love them until they can love themselves. That was the message that I was getting, right? That was that was what I was hearing in a lot of the meetings. Just just get the person to the meetings, and and the ma and the magic of the meetings is going to do the job, right? 
the magic of the meetings. They're, they're going to they're hear the message in the meetings. The, the book is, is, basically, is basically saying something completely different than that. It's saying if the person is unwilling to work the 12 steps, there's nothing you're going to be able to do for them. And, and, and you may have to drop them. Now, I see that as compassionate today and not cruel and not reactionary because I'll, I'll tell you why. I've got a lot of experience working with alcoholics. And here is, here is what I've seen and here is my truth. Somewhere around 1992, I started to bring people over to my house and take them through the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Back then, I did it line by line. We'd go through the whole book, dust jackets, everything, right? And where there was an instruction, we, you know, we would do, we would do the instruction. A lot of times, I would go through the steps with them, so, so it didn't seem like I was, you know, I was just giving them homework. Now, here's what, here's, here's what I learned. The people who got through the 12 steps, the people who did inventories, who did fifth steps, who actually went out and made amends, who developed prayer and meditation disciplines, and then, then started to work with other people, I know where every single one of them is to this day. It's over 30 years now. I know where they all are, the people that got through this work. The people that balked on the fourth step, the, the people who who said, amends, pay the money back? Are you crazy? I don't know where any of them are. I don't know where any of them are. They've dropped, they've dropped off, right? So, so I'm a believer in this 12-step because it's my experience working with others. I've seen the people who stay week after month after year after decade, I see the people who have good recovery, who've been around a really long time, have paid attention to this 12-step work. So why would I lie to an alcoholic and say, or, or just, why would I be lazy and just say, just go to a meeting, hey, yeah, here's, my, here's my phone number, give me a call, you know, and, and here's a meeting book, you know, I'll circle the meetings you should go to. Yeah, listen, listen, I, you know, is that good to do that stuff? Yes, it's good to circle the meetings and give somebody the book. Yes, it's good to give somebody your phone number. Yes, it's good to take people to meetings. All that stuff is good. But the good is sometimes the enemy of the best. And the best is to sit down with somebody and start to take them through this recovery process. Because, because their lives may depend on it. You know, we lose a million alcohol. I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, statistically, there's probably something like a hundred million alcoholics in North America. Something like that. Because statistically, like five percent of us are alcoholics. There's maybe a million, a million and a half in AA. And I'm telling you, there's 10 million people who went to Alcoholics Anonymous stayed around a while, resented themselves out of it, didn't, didn't get enough out of it to stay, and they're out there saying, I tried AA, and it didn't work. When they didn't try AA, AA is a 12-step recovery program. There's millions of them out there. 
and, and uh, you know, I, I'm telling you, then there's a lot of people who just don't think that AA would work. So they're, so they're not going to, they're not going to come to us. So I believe very, very much in, uh, in the, in this process of taking somebody through the steps. Now it says here, suppose you're making the second visit to an alcoholic. All that stuff is the first time you meet with somebody. You cover all the steps. You, you qualify the person. You, you explain everything. You lend them a copy of your book to read. And then you leave. And the second time you visit with somebody, so suppose you're now making your second visit to a man. He's read this volume and says he's prepared to go through the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Now, how many people do you think that's going to be? Probably not a lot, right? But again, this book is saying we're looking for the people who are willing. You know, for someone to be willing, they have to have the right information. They have, they have, you have to have done the first visit. But if somebody is like, yes, yes, I want this help. You know, I've read the book. I want this help. It's just going to be so much easier working with that person. There's not going to be a lot of resistance to the fourth step. You're not going to be calling them up 13 times. How are you doing with that four-step? I'm still writing. You know, they're going to do that four-step because they're going to realize that their lives depend on doing it. So um, having had the experience yourself, you can give them much practical advice. Let them know you are available if he wishes to make a decision, which is the third step and to tell his story, which is a fifth step, but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. Now, now I've, I've sponsored and I've, I've worked with other people using this particular chapter as, as guidance, you know, informing the way I handle working with people. And, uh, and you know, I, I've got to tell you, it, it is the people who get through these steps that are my best friends today. You know, in the, in the chapter of Vision for You, it talks about create the fellowship you crave. You know, your constant contact with newcomers is going to be the bright spot of your life. Uh, the, you know, the most satisfactory years of your existence are, are lie ahead of you. You know, you're, you're going to live in a new and wonderful life. And all those things have come true, and I've had these people as part of my crew moving forward, the people that made it through the 12 steps. So I'm, I'm an absolute believer in this stuff. Now, everyone knows the 12 steps, right? Everyone knows the 12 traditions. Most people know that there are 12 concepts, right? And we've heard the 12 promises read, and I'm thinking if some knucklehead can pull the 12 nine-step promises out, put them on a big plaque with numbers, I can do what I'm going to share with you right now. So I'm on a Zoom meeting. I'm on a Zoom meeting about two years ago now, Marty, something like that, and and there's a crowd of people. You know, before the meeting starts, people are People are talking with each other, and you're, you know, you're trying to break in, and everybody, everybody's, hey, how's it going? Oh, welcome, you know, and all this stuff. 
And there was a guy, uh, a guy who just just did, just was kind of inappropriate. Just wasn't following, you know, good protocol on Zoom. And he was going, he's going, Chris, Chris. He's like breaking in. People are trying to talk, talk to talk to them to themselves. Like, I want you to speak at my meeting. I want you to speak at my meeting. I'm like, dude, take it offline, <laughs> you know. And he did this a couple of times. And then, uh, and and then I gave him a date. Okay, okay. I gave him a date. Uh, and he breaks in, you know, the next week on the same meeting. Chris, Chris, I need a topic. You got to give me a topic. He's like interrupting everybody. So, so I, I get upset. I, sometimes, sometimes, I, you know, I can be a smartass. And I said, I said, okay, I'll give you a topic. You know, they just unearthed the 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 last writings of Bill Wilson. They were just discovered uh, up at Stepping Stones, and you know he was working on he was working on the twelve concepts, and and, and they found they found the, the new writings, and it was on the twelve inconveniences. <laughs> and and he goes, okay, <laughs> I'm being a smartass. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I see the flyer, Chris S. The 12 inconveniences. So, so now I'm in trouble, right? I'm like, I'm going to have to give a talk on the 12 inconveniences. So, so I go to page 97, and guess what? There are 12 inconveniences. And I'm going to read them to you now. Okay? So... Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while is not enough. You have to be the good Samaritan every day. If need be, uh, this may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, uh, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to the hospitals, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. A drunk may smash your furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Let's go over some of these, okay? <laughs> this doesn't look like a lot of fun, right? So, loss of many nights sleep? Absolutely. I leave my phone on at night. Because cause somebody might, you know, I also do facilities management, so, you know, something like a boiler could explode or something. I've got to have my phone on. I'll get, I can tell you this one time. It's, it's 2 in the morning. All of a sudden, my phone rings. And it's this guy, Andy, ready? And he's like, he's like Chris, Chris, I need help. I need help. Yeah, uh, Satan is talking to me. Satan is talking to me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I know a little bit about this. I go, you know, how many grams of Coke did you do, Andy? <laughs> He goes five, you, you know. So, so I'm like, I'm like, I'll get the boys. We'll be right over, you know. We, you know, we we take off. We go over there. We pick him up, and he is pinned. This guy is pinned, and and we put him in the back seat. You know, live and learn. We put him in the back seat, and me, me and my buddy are driving him off off to the Betty. You know, to put him into a detox, and uh, and I I ask him, I go, hey, Andy, is uh, is Satan still talking to you? And he goes, yeah. He goes, he's telling me to kill people. And I'm like, I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, especially people that are trying to help me. <laughs> Made for a nervous ride, you know, to Happy Hills. Uh, 
great interference with my pleasures. Oh, my God. How many times has somebody called during a hockey game or, or something, right? I, I mean, I'm involved with something. You know, I'm in a project. I'm one of these project guys. I'm working on projects around the house. Bam, phone is ringing. I, 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 can, I can do it under protest, answer the phone, but i got to do it. You, you, you know what I mean? I've got to answer that call. I've got to talk to that person. And, and I do it with a good attitude. They'd never know that I was swearing like a sailor when the phone started ringing. <laughs> They'd never know that. Uh, interruptions to your business. So, so for the last 20 years or so, every single job I ever got, I would let my boss know. I would say, look, I have kind of an unorthodox life outside of work. And every once in a while, I'm going to have to take a phone call at work. And every once in a while, I'm actually going to have to leave work. And I promise you, right here and right now, I will always make up the time. I, you, know, I, I will, you know, I will not cheat you on time. I will make up the time. But this is my life, and this is what I have to do. So, so like when I just got my last job, I let everybody know there that they like had me introduce myself to the entire group. And listen, I didn't say I'm an AA member. I said, I said, I said, uh, you know, I'm in long-term recovery from alcoholism, and I'm very, very involved in in helping people who have substance abuse disorders or alcoholism. I let the entire company know. Within a week, I'm I'm finding, uh, you know, I'm taking their kids to treatment or something, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm serious about that. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's my job. It may mean sharing your money or your home. You know, sometimes I've done that. Sometimes I've shared money with people in AA, and I, and I need to let you know that I consider it like throwing money in a basket at church. I cannot be attached to whether I get it back again or not because we relapse. You know what I mean? So, so I, I've, I've, most of the time that I do it, you know, it comes back one way or the other. Sharing my home, I, for you know, many, many instances, I've had people come and live with me. If it, was, if it really seemed like the right thing to do, you know, I would I would bring people into my home, and it, it says here not for long though. You know, uh, it, it it says uh, uh, counseling frantic wives and relatives. Oh my God! For one reason or another, uh, my 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 wife is is an RN, and uh, and I used to get all these these calls, these calls for help from families and people. And she listened to me about four or five times, and she said, "God damn it, give me the phone, because because I, you know you're you're crazy, you know." And she gets so she gets on the phone with the families, and because she's trained in in in, uh, in psych eval, and and she knows crisis, you know, family crisis management and everything, she became this amazing navigator. She, you know, if somebody really needs to be put into treatment, just can't, you can't expect them to walk into Alcoholics Anonymous and be fine. They, 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 you know, they need hospitalization because they're befogged. You know, she started, she started to, to navigate them. And so, so we, you know, at least once a week, we're dealing with a, a family who's, who's in crisis. And, you know, here's the thing. 
You don't know what the hell to do. So little Joey is using heroin. He's 14. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? You don't know what to do. You, you go online, you know, and, and there's, uh, you know, all these websites like Capture, you know, the phone numbers and everything, and you call these places up, and half of them are scams. And, and these families, they just don't know what to do. They, they need, like, competent navigation to well-respected places. And we've, we've done that for, for years. Innumerable, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums and detoxes and treatment centers. You know, right now I have a Wednesday commitment at a, at a treatment center. I do, uh, I do a big book workshop um, every Wednesday night for a bunch of people that are in treatment. But I've gone to court with people. You know, I've, I've gone to the police station to try to explain <laughs> the insanity. Of it. I've done all this stuff. The only, I, I haven't gone to asylums. You know, because they, we really don't have those anymore. We've got treatment centers, and we've got jails, and we've got detoxes. And that kind of covers all that. Telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. You know, this can happen. And, and uh, you know, I, I get opportunities to, to do talks and stuff. And, and what I've done is I've limited it to one travel trip a month. Because I just don't see that it's fair to be gone every weekend. You know, I'm married. You, you know what I mean? And, I, and, and I'm, try, I'm trying to take care of the house and cut the lawn and take care of the dogs. So we've made a deal so that she doesn't feel neglected that one week out of the month, I'm getting on a plane, you know, and I'm going and I'm doing something. And that seems, that seems to have worked. A drunk may smash your furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You know, that, that's, that, not, that hasn't really happened, but I've had my life threatened a couple of times, you know, by, by these, cra these crazy people. <laughs> so one time, I'm down in North Carolina, and we had a house down there, so we'd go down every once in a while. And, uh, oh, this, this was a crazy situation, right? Uh, I, I, this is with my ex-wife. We, we go down there, and uh, there's a... There's a there's a uh, a clubhouse that's always in this town down south. There's a lot of clubhouses, and that's where the meetings are. There's like two or three meetings a day at this clubhouse, and that takes care of this this small city. And so I go down there, and I remember where the clubhouse was. I go there about once a year. What I didn't realize it ha it, is it had had moved. And there are also other meetings at churches and everything. So what I did was I pulled up in front of the the, of the clubhouse. And I told my wife, go in and grab a meeting book. You know, that's the clubhouse. Go in and grab a meeting book. I didn't realize the clubhouse had moved and sold this to a family. So, so she just walks into their house, right? And it's a family. And they're like, hello. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I'm here for a meeting book. Hi, how is everybody? And, and this is the crazy thing. The clubhouse was called a drink of water. So the family is like, like, oh, you want a drink of water? And she's like, no, I'm not thirsty. Right? They're going, no, you want a drink of water. And she goes, but I'm not thirsty. I just want a meeting book. No, you want the clubhouse. She came out of there so mad at me. You, you sent me to that house. You know, so, uh, 
So we went, we went down, we went down, we, we, you know, we found that there, there wasn't a meeting that night. And so, uh, but somebody else showed up at the same time because the meeting book said there was a meeting that night, but it had closed down. So it was, it was a couple. It was a guy and, and his girlfriend, and he just got out of prison for his 14th DUI. And can you imagine his 14th DUI? This guy was nuts. And so, so I'm like, I'm like, hey, we, you know, we both came to an AA meeting. How about we go to Denny's for a cup of coffee and we just kind of have a meeting? I'm figuring this is going to be a 12-step opportunity. He just got out of prison. So we go there, we're sitting down, and, and, and we're having coffee. And I start to hit him with the truth about alcoholism, right? Forgetting to say, this is my experience with alcohol. And I'm pointing at him saying, this is your experience. 14 DUIs, buddy, you're an alcoholic. You can't stop drinking. You, 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 you. Right? And you know what he does? He goes, I usually kill people that give me bad news. <laughs> Waitress, check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, he was a bad dude. So, so I made as many, as many crazy crazy things that you can imagine. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. You may have to fight with the alcoholic if he's violent. So I tell, I tell all my sponsees to take some martial arts. I do. Because some people need a meeting. Some people need a beating. And, uh, and you got to be ready for that. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Here's the one I don't do. Sedative, I, I got in a lot of trouble back in the day being the sedative administrator. <laughs> you, you know, back in the Quaalude days, you, you know what I mean? And, and uh, so I, I don't administer sedatives <laughs> a, anymore. I make sure that there's a doctor or, doctor's order for Ativan or, you know, whatever, you, you, you know. And, and there has been times where I could not get somebody. Somebody desperately needs to be detoxed, and I could not get them into a detox. What I do in that case is, is uh, you know, the airplane, airplane bottles of booze? You know, I get like about a dozen of those airplane bottles of booze, and, you know, okay, have one of these every hour, you know. Uh, uh, have one of these every two hours and try to try to help taper people off. That does not happen very much anymore. I've I've got some experience with that, you know, uh, because you can take somebody to an ER. You can take somebody to an emergency room. It's not a great detox, folks. You know, it's not really comfortable for the person detoxing to be in the ER. But they will make sure the person's vitals are okay. They'll watch the blood pressure and make sure their aorta doesn't pop like a balloon. You know, because that's what happens sometimes when, uh, when, when people are going through the DTs. So no sedative administration for me. <laughs> and then another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you will have to meet all, the, all these conditions. So those, those are the 12 inconveniences. And, and I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, uh, sometimes we need to be inconvenienced. Now I want to tell I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm an old marathon runner, right? I don't I don't do it anymore, but I've I've run a lot of the major marathons. Uh, we got sober and started running, and because we're obsessive compulsive, we went to running around the block to running marathons, you know, because <laughs> we're all nuts. Uh, and I'll tell you something about running a marathon. 
Nobody likes running a marathon. They like having run a marathon. Do you understand what I mean? So much of this stuff, nobody likes doing it. We like having done it. So, so again, I, I, I have to, I have to, I have to stop. And, and when, and when my default mechanism goes to, I just don't want to be bothered. That has to be, there, ha, there has to be an override. There has to be an override. And I must allow myself to become inconvenienced at times. Now, I've had some great, great experiences with the 12 steps. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one of my favorite experiences. This is one of my favorite guys. We're still, we're still like this uh, many years later. So, so he shows up at my house because he's bringing a guy from the VA who wants to – I had a little step study at my house. And this guy, guy wanted to ride over there. So he, so, he, so he brought this guy, Ron. And Ron shows up. And after about three weeks of listening to me go through the big book, he finally had a surrender. You know, this guy, this guy is a jerk, but it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. You know, that was his impression. So, you know, I'm having a lot of problems with alcohol. I'm having a lot of problems at home. I'm having a lot of problems at work. I'm just going to do what this guy tells me to do. And he, he was pretty new in AA. So I, I took him through the 12 steps. He, he, he did it like it was a work assignment. You know how rare that is for somebody to set a priority on the step work like it's a, like it's a work assignment, and he did that. And he got to, he got to the he got to the uh, the immense part, and he came to me with about 60 cards. I usually have people you know do immense cards. He came to me with about 60 cards, uh, and he goes, "I need to tell you something about these cards." I go, "What?" He goes, I don't know why I did it, but this one guy I put down on a card, and I need to tell you right now, I'm never making amends to that jerk. Oh, you know what he did? I'm never, I don't even know why I made the card. So, so I'm like, okay, uh, that's fine, that's fine. Let's just get started on, on the one, you know, let's get started on the card. So he's going through the amends, he's going through the amends, he's flying across the country to make amends to old bosses. He's, He's getting a hold of people he hadn't heard of from high school. This guy is doing heroic amends work, right? And he calls me up, and he goes, God damn you. I'm like, what? He goes, I've got that one card left. And I know i got to do it. And I'm coming over, and you and me are going to work through how the hell I'm going to do this. You know? And he comes over, and we, we work out a plan. This, this, this guy had done, you know, horrible, horrible thing, you know, to, you know, to a person in his family. And, uh, and we, work, we work it out, and, and he, go, he, makes, he makes direct amends to this, to this person. And then it's, this thing had split the family in half, you know, and, and he, he goes and he makes direct amends. I have never seen anybody more spiritually sound than this individual. Get this. He was running the Bazooka Bubblegum Tops Baseball Card Company. He was the CEO. He's running this major company. And about six months after going through these steps, he was running a soup kitchen in Morristown, New Jersey. And he was happier than I'd ever seen him in his life. And, and look, that doesn't look like success, does it? 
I mean, you're you're bringing down huge money when you're one of those CEOs. So he'd had this, he had the money, but he was being driven spiritually. You know, he had had that awakened spirit. It promises us in the 12 steps that we will have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Not the result of sitting in meetings or making coffee or, or, or being a DCM. It says we're going to have this awakened spirit as the result of these 12 steps. And, and I want to tell you what that, what that awakened spirit looks like with me. I, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. <clears throat> Remember I was talking about coming to you with a broken spirit because I'd let so many people down and I'd acted in such an abysmal, pathetic way in my life that I had so many regrets. Well, I get through these steps and the immense process really allows me to clean a lot of that stuff up and get free, get free from this. And I get... I get, you know, to the 12th step, and, and, and things are different. I'm awake now. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Prior to doing these 12 steps, I saw the world a certain way. And I believe I saw them through the clouded, the clouded lens of alcoholism, right? I had, I had opinions on everything. I had belief systems, you know. I had my own way, you know, and I, and I had positions that I would take. And, and I, just saw, I just saw the world a certain way. When I got to step 12, I saw it a different way. Chuck C. Cole talks about, you know, wearing a different pair of glasses. And, and I, I understand that. I think I see things as they really are or close to as they really are today because I'm awake. I had a great spiritual advisor uh, and good friend who used to say, if you haven't gone through the 12 steps, you're asleep walking around thinking you're awake. And I used to say, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's, that's reactionary. I feel the exact same way today. That doesn't mean you can't work and can't have a family and can't drive a car or any of that stuff. It just means, it just means your, your perspective on the world is off. A lot of times we see... That the world is is hostile. It's just a hostile environment out of the, out there. You got to be careful. I see I see the world today as incredibly generous and inviting. You know that's 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 what I see. Now I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna end uh, with a couple of stories here. I hope that's true. I'm gonna end with a couple of stories. Um, one of one of them is. Um, I got a new sponsor about four years ago. This, this guy showed up. His name is Brad. Uh, my sponsor had moved away on me. You know, it, it should be illegal. Uh, you know, twice my sponsors moved away on me, you know? Like, I can't believe they could be that selfish. Don't you know, don't you know I count on you? So, so, uh, so they moved away on me. So I, so I was, I was, I was uh, you know, I was looking around for a sponsor. I was tired of making long-distance calls to somebody who's, you know, I'm not going to see that often. And, uh, and this guy, I asked this guy to come and, and, and share at our group. And, uh, and he, his talk was incredibly, deeply spiritual. And it moved me. There was a group of people out in, out in California. It, it wrapped around Chuck C., but, but Bob Anderson, there was like a whole group of people, and, and they were all in this church called the Science of the Mind. 
So, so a lot of the spiritual lessons that they were learning, they weren't learning in Alcoholics Anonymous. They were learning through these deep spiritual practices uh, that they were, they were all, the Vernon Howard, they were getting in Krishnamurti, they were getting really deep with all this stuff. And, uh, and, and I've, I've recognized just a, a vocabulary from these people that just is very inviting, very deep, very, 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 very focused on, on self and how, and, and how self, you know, the various manifestations of self have to be overcome. And it was just an attractive, wonderful message. Now, th- this guy, uh, what he does for a living is uh, uh, he handles horses. So, so when, when, some, when some very important people want their horses moved, he's the guy that they call, you know. And, and uh, uh, his message was just so beautifully spiritual. So I asked him to sponsor me. And we've been working together for about three years. And uh, I want to share this with you. I believe that there's an economy in this, in this spiritual world. You know, you, you see it in the resentment inventory. It's, you know, the first example of a resentment inventory has about 60 words in it. You know, has, have you, has anybody ever showed up at your house, like, you know, with an Encyclopedia Britannica of drama? You know, when they, bring, when they come over and do their fist step? There's an economy in this spiritual world. Uh, and I didn't get that for a long time. For a long time, I'm, I've got this inner, inner desire to connect with the divine. Because I believe I have a spiritual vacancy. And I was trying to fill that spiritual vacancy with alcohol, with sex, with drugs, with new toys, with, with jacking up credit cards. What, you know, whatever I, I was trying to, to take something out here to put it in here to make me feel right. And that's, that's something that I've been, I've been struggling to overcome a long, long time in, re, in recovery. And, uh, and, and Brad really started to speak to it. And I, I went down a lot of dead-end roads, you know. Uh, I think it was good for me to do that. I don't regret a thing about, you know, my experience in the last 30-some years in AA. But, I, you know, I, I, tried to, I tried to grow spiritually by reading The Course in Miracles. You ever read The Course in Miracles? It's a monster. It's like this thick with time. I mean, there's complicated. Now you do this, and here's what you, and, you know, and nothing is real, and every, and, you know, and, uh, it just blew my mind. I got nothing from it. <laughs> I went all the way through it, you know, and got nothing from it. Except pissed off. Radio Shack Mike. <laughs> so, so. I believe that I believe we can attach to an economy in the spiritual world, and I want to share with you three exercises that my sponsor has has given me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna end with these. So he told me, he told me three things, and they're very simple. He said, Chris, when you walk out walk outside, I want you to look up. Look up? Yeah, I want you to just look up when you when you walk outside. You want me to look up? Yeah, look up. I'm asking you to do that. And I want you, as many times as you can remember, to tell yourself what you're doing. Tell myself what I'm doing. Yeah, he goes, you know, if you're driving a car, say, say I'm now driving a car. If you're walking up a set of stairs, say, say I am now walking up a set of stairs. Okay. And then he said, ask God for help with everything you do. 
He, he goes, you know, when I'm changing horseshoes, I go, God, help me change the horseshoes. God, help me go get some water for the horses. God, help, God, you know, God, help me drive to a meeting. He says, that's what I want you to do. I go, you want, you want me to do that? All right. So I start doing this. I start doing this practice because I believe that this guy... I believe this guy is further along the spiritual path than I am, and, and I find very, very attractive his message and his demeanor. So I start to do that. Let me tell you, let me tell you what these exercises have meant to me. So telling myself what I'm doing. Chris, right now you're speaking in a microphone at the Toronto Fox. What does that do? That brings me into the now. Brings me into right now, right here, right now, when I do that, when I tell myself what I'm doing. So often my head is going to travel back in the past or project into the future about, you know, oh my God, this will happen or that happened. I can't believe that happened. You know, it would have been better if I did this. Or, you know, uh, no, Chris, right now you're smashing the microphones <laughs> together <laughs> and, and making the taper go, oh! So it's an exercise in staying in the now. Folks, there's no problem now. There's no pain now. You know, the holy now. So he said, he said, ask God for help in everything that you do. So, you know, God, help me speak today at the Fellowship of the Spirit of Toronto. You know, God help me go back to the to the hotel and, and get checked out. God help me drive home. You know, tonight. whatever. I'm I'm going to be saying those things. What does that do? That puts me in conscious contact with the presence of God on a regular basis. The consciousness of the presence of God is with me when I use that very very simple exercise. You know, I, I, rem- I remember, you know, who I am connected to, who I am unity, in unity with, who's, whose power is working in me and through me. You know, God help me. He, and, and then when I walk outside and I look up, I become incredibly grateful. I become incredibly grateful because this is what I believe. I believe God created everything. And he created this earth, and we have been placed on it. And it is the biggest playground you can imagine. And we've been given this enormous, beautiful playground. And do you remember when you were in second or third grade, and you went out on recess, and you were learning how to get along? You know, you were learning how not to hit people, you know, and how to share, you know. We're still doing, folks, we're still learning that stuff, you know, if we're alcoholic. So here I am today. Here I am today. I, I am a, I'm a biological, self-aware being, you know, experiencing the spirit on God's playground with you. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am for this thing called life. The crazy thing was the last couple of years of my drinking, I would have a 38 caliber handgun against my head, just cussing at myself for not having the guts to pull the trigger. You know, that's how much I valued life. You know, today, 
Today I get to be part of something really, really fantastic. And I want to thank all of you for being here. I hope that's some kind of a talk on Step 12. And, uh, and God bless all of you.